0: Psalm 90. It's on the insert in your bulletin here. Here's where we're going, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We just baptized all these kids. One of the things we want for our children, as I think we probably want for ourselves, is wisdom. To know what it is to be wise. Wisdom, biblical wisdom, is something like skill at understanding and navigating life as it was designed to be lived. Skill at understanding and navigating life as it was designed to be lived. Uh, it's a little disconcerting because it's not nearly as definite as we would hope. It's, um, it leaves us with less certainty. There's more open-endedness and adventure to biblical wisdom than a lot of us are comfortable with. And if maybe most disconcerting is that if we read honestly about what it is to walk in wisdom, we realize that we're walking in a world that we don't control. We're just inhabiting a world where outside forces act on us, but it's a world governed by a sovereign God who has all understanding but doesn't share all that understanding with us very often. In fact, He doesn't ever share all the understanding with us. Instead, He calls us to walk in relationship with Him and trust and humility with the wisdom that he does give, obeying it, but then walking in relationship with him and each other. That is wisdom. And part of the reason we want wisdom is because foolishness is so expensive. In the last millennium, and I mean that literally, in the 1990s, I was a youth pastor. Maybe hard to believe, but I was a youth pastor. And um, there was a girl uh, in my youth group, and I'm going to um, I'm not going to tell you her real name, but I'm going to call her Jennifer because that was the most popular name of the year she was born. It was like the most popular name for the 70s and 80s. So um, Jennifer, she was, she was probably 14 or 15, and she was just making stupid choices. And I kind of pointed those out to her, and she said, Pastor Roger, I, never, I just remember saying this, I'm not the kind of person who learns from other people. I learn things for myself. And I said, Jennifer, the Bible has a word for that. (laughs) Fool. And she said, I am different. This last year, I had opportunity to connect back up with Jennifer's parents. So we're 23 years later. And so we do the thing, you know, how are the kids? Where are the kids? And when they got to Jennifer, here's what they said, you know Jennifer and just gave a short story of lots of broken relationships and heartache and folly turns out she not different foolishness is expensive and god invites us into a way of being calls us into a way of being that gains a heart of wisdom and that way is found in this passage and it's simply this the intentional intentional reflection on our own limitation and our own frailty, and God's mercy to us in it. Intentional consideration of our own limitation and God's mercy to us in it. And if we pay attention to our life, there's a lot of opportunity to consider our limitation. I used to own a 1992 Honda Accord, which was awesome. It had only like 275,000 miles on it. If You had an old Honda cord, you know, they just run forever. It had no problems really, except one. The horn did not work, and by it did not work, I meant it worked all the time. There's a little pad, apparently, between two pieces of metal in the horn that had gotten worn away. So without warning, occasionally, the horn would just go on. And as a matter, you beat it. I had gotten one time out and pulled the battery cable off because I didn't know what to do. But the problem was an intermittent problem. So you know when your car has an intermittent problem, if it doesn't have the problem, what you do about it? Nothing. You just wait till the next time. It finally got, so it it got to a place, the most uh, traumatic memory was I was at the uh, stoplight under the interstate at 21st and Shadeland, stopped behind several cars. (laughs) Eh. So I'm behind cars, right? And, like, what, I'm sure the people are like, what is this guy's deal? What a jerk, right? And so I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I put my blinkers on, like, ah, something wrong with my car. And the guy in front of me started trying to get out of the way like I was an ER doctor or something. Um, and it was, I finally did take it, drove it to my mechanic that day. I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. It was like a $30 fix. It was nothing. But uh, it was a problem that made itself so obvious that you would have to close your ears or drive away from it. If it was in your car, you actually couldn't do that. We have one of those things in our life. It is called our life. Our life. Let me just walk through this passage very quickly. And look at this gift that we have of an invitation to consider our limitation and God's mercy to us in it. This is a song of Moses. This is probably the oldest psalm. It's literally the oldest song in the book. Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth Wherever you had formed earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This starts at a high point. It's good for us just to consider the the size and the, the scope of God from before time to after time. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God, you are bigger than us. In every single way, we confess that we try to put you into our box and make demands of you, that you explain yourself to us in ways that we can understand. But we just want to get it on the record that that's a foolhardy approach. You're bigger than us. You return man to dust, verse 3, and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. All of you here are closer to death now than you were at the call to worship. And I'm, I want to be serious. Like, it's coming. Dust is coming for us all. This is a counterintuitive a, a th- way to think in our culture. It's counterintuitive. We we want to deny these things. We want to cover them up. We want to be complete. Always young. Death is coming for us all, and this scripture is simply inviting us to consider that dust reality. Taylor teaches, uh, coaches this CrossFit box up on the northeast side, CrossFit dogfight. I'm sure any given day you can go in there, as several of you do, and see some of the most remarkable specimens of humanity in this city, men and women. Maybe that's even you guys. I don't know. But um, you go in there, and these people look invincible, superhuman. You know what happens if you add enough time? Dust. Every single one. Myself, you. This is an invitation to consider our frailty. We are simply future dust. And I don't mean that as like it's a super negative thing, it's just, it's coming for us. We're temporary. So, this is an invitation to consider our frailty. It's not just that, though, it's to consider our sin. Verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. This is probably written at the end of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Right, so... Uh, and Moses can't go into the promised land because he's sinned. They, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't believe God was strong enough to take him into the land. And if you remember the story in Exodus when Moses received the Ten Commandments, they're down at the bottom of the mountain partying because they want another God besides Yahweh making a golden calf. They're a mess. And uh, he's not saying your wrath, your anger is unjust. He's just saying this is why we're out here. We're distressed by it. And this is... Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You know the secret sins, I mean yours, are not secret. My secret sins are not secret. Right? They're set, they're not just set before the Lord, they're set in the light of his presence. And that is a good thing to reflect on. The secret thoughts, the secret glances, right? Secret websites, secret binging and food and secret shot of whiskey, the things we hide from other people. What are you hiding? Nothing. We're actually hiding nothing. Our secret sins are set in the light of his presence. My secret sins, yours. Uh, is that overwhelming? Well, I hope so. That's the point of this. It's to bring us up short and to say, I know that we play a really good game here. Like, well, look, this is a beautiful, is a beautiful group right here. You're handsome, you're smart, you're, you're well-dressed and well-educated, and I'd like to think the same about myself. Not sure it's true. But we, do it, we, we, we play a good game of looking good, and all I'm saying is the secret things are not actually secret. And it's good to meditate on that. And just in case frailty or sin were not enough, Moses goes on and adds frailty and sin together. Verse 9. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. For the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So Moses is saying, look, we get 70 or 80 years, right? Now give or take 20 or 30 for first world or third world health considerations now. I mean, it's a big deal when you're in it, those 20 years, but in the big picture, it's very small. But Moses is saying, look, people, they have seven or eight decades, and few actually consider their frailty and their sin. They don't consider your anger, God, or your wrath, or your response to these things, or the brokenness they, they caused to cascade into the world through their own self. We, we rarely consider that. It's an invitation to consider so much so that our, he says, our years end like a sigh. I don't know what that means, but it's not encouraging. Oh, finally. I don't know what it means. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, like, the longer you live, the more hopeful you get on one hand. On the other hand, you see more and more wickedness in yourself and outside of yourself and more and more manifestations of dark and evil things in the world. It's, it's no surprise that Moses says, you know, sometimes we just end with a sigh. So, uh, that I know that really brings us down. We just had baptisms like, why is Roger so negative? Well, it's Psalm 90. It takes us down and says, this is actually a counterintuitive way that leads to wisdom. But look at verse 12. Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. The pathway into wisdom is knowing our frailty. It puts us in a position, if you think about it, where we are low and can learn from one who is greater than us, who from everlasting to everlasting is God when we are not. It puts us in a humble position where we can hear from his word, where we want to hear from his word, where we can learn in community. We have to learn it. It says, teach us to number our days. It's hard. It's counterintuitive. But how does this happen? Okay, here we go. Verse 13. This is the turn to good news, and we're heading into the communion table. Um, Return Oh, Lord, how long? Unlike the first time the word Lord is used in your English, this is the word Yahweh. This is the covenant name of God. This is Moses saying to the people, call out this. God, you're a covenant God of promise. I know that we're frail. We're passing away. We're like grass. We have all these secret sins, but not us, you. Your covenant love, your promises run to us. Help us to know that. You, because you're just, say, return to dust. But because you're gracious, we can say, return to us. Right? Because of you. That's what it's all packed in there to that word, Lord, O Lord, Yahweh, covenant God. Have pity on us, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That we we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. We confess that we've been seeking satisfaction in so many other things. It's just serial dissatisfaction over and over and over again. Little things that seem good, we put our hope in them and they, they leave us cold. You know what doesn't leave us cold? Your steadfast love. Your covenant love. Teach us in our frailty that we see in our face because of our trusting in other things to trust in your steadfast love. How much of the cost, you know, you think about the cost of folly in our life, is not, it's just directly related to try to be satisfied in things other than the covenant love of God. Make us glad, verse 15, for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Frankly, I think Moses could have done better here. He could have made a better prayer. He was just asking He was just asking for maybe, hey, 40 years in the desert, maybe 400 years in slavery. Could you give your people 40 years or 400 years? Maybe he didn't have a big enough vision. Maybe this this momentary affliction could be, you know, creating in us an eternal weight of glory, as Paul says. We can ask for more than that. And then finally, verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor or the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We consider intentionally our frailty and our limitation. And then we look at the gospel in the covenant love of God. And then we are so bold as children of God to say, May your favor be upon us and upon our children. Establish the work of our hands. We're frail and fleeting, but use the things, the the faltering relationships and attempt at love to build something beautiful. And we can still pray that today, and we can pray that with more hopefulness than Moses did. Because we see on display the covenant love of God in a way that he never did, which is why we go to the communion table every single week, why we're going to the communion table right now. It is a picture, a multi-sensory picture of the love of God of God for his people. Jesus standing, offering himself to us. If you're in Christ Jesus by faith, we're going to invite you to come to the table. I'm going to dismiss you in a second. You'll go to the four corners of the room.